everyone. Welcome to the October episode of Jell of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we are reviewing Dark Glasses and looking deeper into Dario Argento's Return to Directing. To help me dive deeper into this film, I am joined by a YouTube film reviewer and TikTok content creator who loves to talk all things horror. My guest brings his extensive knowledge of slasher films to this month's episode. Welcome, friend of the podcast, Dylan Tillman. Thrilled to be back. This is like the third time in a row I've become the October guest. I just love that. I obviously am an avid listener of the podcast. Yeah, I'm a film critic on both YouTube and TikTok. Um, so wherever you would prefer to get your content, you can absolutely just find me there. Mostly review horror films, obviously slasher reviews. Um, and I, it's the username everywhere you can find it. Letterbox, even on Twitter. Come follow me. I'm always talking. I will admit I'm more active on TikTok. I have very good engagement over there. And yeah, we are constantly. Just hit a big, you just had a big milestone. I did. Okay. So I've had a lot of videos, not to brag, but kind of brag, I guess. That's exactly what I'm do doing. Do it. This here. is the time yes. to brag. You're my guest. Yeah. I had a couple of videos do half a million views, but I finally had my first video do a million views. So baby, that <laughs> ready to cast that check. Um, yeah, like right now, I think 1.6, well, no, I think it's still, it might, yes, 1.6 million people have seen me shake my ass to repo the genetic opera, which honestly, I'm going to throw ass. I'd rather it to be, you know, Zydrate anatomy. So yeah. Um, and that's one of your newer videos, right? Yeah. It's one of my newer videos. Now I've had other videos do well. I have a very good and consistent engagement. I have over 10,000 followers. Gaining followers on TikTok is extremely difficult compared to YouTube. I feel like it's much easier on YouTube, but it's easier to have a viral video on TikTok than it is on yeah. YouTube. So it's really easy to share on TikTok, share, yeah. like, or comment. It's like a little bit more of a user, more user friendly. It is. It is. So I've noticed that like I will gain more followers on YouTube, but it's harder to gain followers on TikTok, but I have a better engagement over there. It's hard because, you know, when you're, you're do video, video reviews, you have to go where everyone else goes, pack up your bag and be like, all right, we're going into TikTok now. Um, Got to stay active. So uh, yeah, I just recently had a video hit over a million views and I'm still getting comments. Like it's still like, um, I've love. it's weird to see people stitching your video a lot. And like duetting your video and I'm like, oh, okay. It's not just like comments, you know, but yeah, I talk all things horror. I do fun little horror skits. I, I review movies and I don't just review the latest movies. Like I just did a review because I've been working my way through, um, Rob Zombie's filmography. So I just reviewed Lords of Salem. I do all things hard. So I also take suggestions. You can literally, you don't even just drop it in a chat. So I, is this a secret? You can feel free to shut me down on this. But when you're watching all of those really terrible horror movies, was that for a particular project? It is for a particular project. And I'm almost done with this okay. particular project, which is why I'm going through some of Rob Zombie's filmography. Okay. So, and I'm, I'm hitting not just the horror films that I per- preferably think is bad. I'm hitting like iconically, like also like notoriously bad films in general. So it's just not films that like, but it is weird. Half these films I saw in the cinema. Mm-hmm. And I remember like not only seeing these in the cinema, but having a crowd reaction to be much different 
than like what like I remember seeing films like The Unborn, you know, Jumbie wants to be born now and hating it. But everyone in the theater having like this like visceral, <laughs> it's a scary movie, you know, and, I, and I've noticed that with so many movies like The Devil's Inside played extremely well when I saw it in theaters <laughs> until the ending happened. So it's been fun to do that. But yes, that is a massive dive. The goal was to get it out by for Halloween as the Halloween special is probably not going to happen now. But uh, because it's one of those massive projects like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then as you dive deep, you're like, what have I unlocked? But hey, it, Thanksgiving. Exactly. Thanksgiving. Exactly. Or um, Christmas or New Year. <laughs> exactly. So it's definitely coming this year. And I'm it's the biggest undertaking I've done. And it's been it's, there was a week where it was like, this is. This is driving me mad. No, I saw your your letterbox activity. It was like two star movies back to back to back to back. Two stars, like two stars if you're lucky. Two, yeah, like I and I, I had also rewatched all the Hellraiser films too in between because I was like something tells me because we were both going to Fantastic Fest. I was like something tells me I need to watch all these Hellraiser films, and I'm glad I did. But even that was rough. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm trying to find the marriage between what makes a bad movie and a good movie. So I'm watching all these bad movies to find the common denominator. <laughs> okay. um, and then also I'm going to do a added list of my top 10, you know, worst horror films yeah. that I, I've seen. You're like getting like really scientific about it. I don't know why I'm like, I, I like, I want to return to college for a hot moment. And I mean, that's <laughs> when I started this podcast, it was, Oh, I want to watch more Jalo how can I make it interesting or educational or dive deeper into it? And then a lot of my episodes have been big themes, like big themes that have stood out um, either in a particular film or across the genre. And I've gotten to do research on those. And you've been a couple on a couple of those episodes where you brought slasher knowledge. Even with TikTok in general, how people even want to have those conversations on that app. Cause there's like, there's even creators on there who are constantly dissecting, disturbing, you know, the iceberg movies and stuff like that and trying to feel like, you know, because not everyone wants to watch that type of stuff, but also some people feel like they have the stomach to study it and see how, why they came to exist. And I, I, I personally am a firm believer of that. Like, yes, I don't want to just on a casual Sunday kick on a Serbian film. But if, like, this person over here wants to study, like, why this movie was, like, manifested somehow into existence, I want to listen. I want to listen to that. Like, mm-hmm. I would like that. Like, I want to listen to that die. It's the same thing. It's like, I think I was just like, you know what? I want to do more than just shake my ass <laughs> to, to <laughs> the and uh, make these funny skits and reviews. Because, like, I'm always posting, always posting. You can do both. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm very excited to be back. Um, and I'm so excited to be back for this particular film. It's it feels like a very special film to be able to, to be able yeah, to join. It's, and it's perfect timing. And since last month's episode, we both attended Fantastic Fest, and we've been watching some horror movies to get into the spooky seasonal spirit. And you can catch my Fantastic Fest roundup and favorite films episode streaming right here on Jello Month Club. 10, 15 minute long favorite films list. And I talk about all the events and things like that. And it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you're listening, already listening to this podcast, you know where to find it. Dylan, have you been watching anything that you would recommend to the listeners during this Halloween season? That is an excellent question. 
So I have been doing a lot of rewatches also outside of just bad movies or whatnot. But I think uh, a film that really surprised me, I think it was, I'm honestly kind of glad I watched it um, at home and not with like our fantastic fest friends because they would have roasted my ass. But um, we're talking about Deadstream. I love Deadstream. It is a like found footage. um, Like I would describe it as like the perfect marriage of Grave Encounters and Evil Dead 2. Um, Like the lead character is like this absolute idiot. Like he's an Ash Williams character. He's an idiot. And he's like this TikToker, live streamer character who does, who throws himself out there, you know, would it shake his ass to Zydrate, you know, you know, to get a couple of views. Um, and he goes to stay tonight in a haunted house. And, um, it is very slapstick. He, uh, it's the same director who did the last segment in VHS 99. Yeah, I've been mostly doing all the spooky stuff. So like, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, things that, like, fit. I find myself during the season watching less, like, scary, scary movies mm-hmm. and more films that are for the season. Um, because I, I watch horror movies 24-7, you know? But I, Yeah, you watch horror movies all the time, but there's just a certain feeling when you, like, pop in the guests. Exactly. And it's exactly. Like, it, it doesn't hit as hard in August as it does in October. So it's like, this is the time where it's like, it's like weird because I'm all, I'm sure both of us, you know, we are known as horror fans. So we're always getting comments and text messages from casual fans or non-horror fans being like, I want to watch something scary. You know, like they want to go hardcore this month. But normally it's like, I just, I want to see the jack-o'-lanterns, the pumpkins, the people in costumes, you know? Um, So I've been watching a lot of things for that season and obviously... I'm still working my way through the shit stains of the horror genre. Um, do you want to talk about Halloween ends? <laughs> oh, yes, I do. Because this could not be more and more of a... Obviously, I love you, so it's not really a fight. But, like, I, I saw your letterbox review, and I was like, wow, we probably couldn't be more different. And I... <laughs> I was very happy that I didn't pay $40 to see it in the theater. I watched it at home, which was good because the amount of me saying, he just told you he killed someone. Call the police. Get away from that man. What are you doing? And we just like calling people idiots. And like, I was extremely vocal. Uh, that's why my, my letterbox review was so short because I had so many thoughts. I throw a zinger out there and that's it because I just, there's too many thoughts. Yeah, I didn't like it. I thought it was really, really bad. <laughs> yeah, and I am on the fence of a Halloween Ends defender. And I, first and foremost, I love the character Michael Myers. I was going to say, what did you like about it? Like, what would you say are its redeeming qualities? Well, first and foremost, when it comes to Halloween Ends, I, while I love the character Michael Myers, I'm not a massive diehard for the franchise as a whole. I think so many of those films are unwatchable. Yeah. And literally, outside of the first film, my favorite of the franchise is Season of the Witch. And I, I, and I state that because it's not like I'm bound to like Halloween four or Halloween two or, you know, so for me, I did really like the Corey, uh, subplot personally because it did feel like David Gordon Green was trying to elevate the Halloween franchise from more than just a slasher. Now, does he get a bit preachy? Is it a bit messy? Yes. And I almost hate that I'm not like, 
a mad like I love I really enjoyed Halloween ends but I hate that I'm not like a like a super fan you know like a like I almost feel like I need to be a super fan because I I I, I'm on the side that enjoys it so therefore it's like oh I need to be a super fan so therefore I can stand my ground but because no that that Allison scene did piss me off. <laughs> that yeah, Allison I mean, every, scene, like every Allison scene, pissed me off in that movie. I'm like, you went from being like a pretty likable character in the last two films. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the last two films, so I, Halloween Kills, I thought that was like the worst. I was like, it couldn't possibly get any worse. I think I might be a Halloween Kills defender now. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, because here's the thing. Fun fact. I have always been a Halloween Kills defender, and I've loved Halloween Kills. In fact, I would still say Halloween Kills is my favorite of the three, because I love how dumb it is. I love that it is like a throwback to the 80s-style dumb slashers where we just want to throw these characters and have some gnarly kills. I'm always the mentality, I want a slasher film first, everything else second. I like my low-hanging fruit slashers. I will not deny that. Okay, so, and Halloween Kills was feeding that. Evil Dies Tonight, she's an icon, she's a legend. I, I've already, I've played drinking games to it. I, I love it. That tells you how much I disliked Halloween Ends, where I'm like, I yeah. think I need to give Halloween Kills a rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I did see some in, interesting takes about how, like, you know, David Gordon Green not only was trying to elevate it and do more than just another Michael Myers, but he wanted to tell like Haddonfield's Halloween, which I do think he very well, in my opinion, crafted. I think, you know, he, by bringing more Haddonfield side characters into the forefront, um, we got to see not just how it affected Laurie Strode, but how it affected Haddonfield as a town. Um, I really liked all that stuff. And yeah, personally, I, I was a big fan and um, I will admit, I do feel like the kills severely lacked in Halloween Ends. And while I no not a problem with the amount of kills, I think they were perfectly spaced out. I just don't think they had the visceral punch that both 2018 and kills provided um, outside of the like the one torch in the junkyard. It was like. I'm yeah. not feeling it anything was, with these it was kills. Also a 25 year old killing teenage marching band members. Okay, like, as a former a, band, as a former bandmate, don't fuck with us marching bands. Okay, yeah, that 25 year old. Yeah, I kind of wiped it from my memory, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he wanted to make it like season of the witch. He wanted to make yes. it kind of an offshoot. It wasn't about Michael Myers. It was about someone else or, or like a different, different vibe. I get that. But to be the end, like the end of this 40 year saga. And I, I my big, that my, it's my biggest beef is that I don't give a fuck about Corey. Who the fuck is Corey? Like mm. even Alice, even Alice. And I'm like, you're pushing it. You're pushing it. Like this isn't Allison's story. I mean, yeah. maybe it's like more Allison's story. Like, the last one was more Allison's story and the kind of, um, you know, she was like kind of taking the torch from Lori. Yeah. It's still like the way Halloween, Halloween kills end it. Oh, you think Lori is going to exact revenge or she's going to be real pissed off Kind of just like shelved it. And they were like four years later. <laughs> yeah. And I, I will admit, I've heard the novelization has that bridge scene between kills and ends. And I do want to read that because I I did feel the jarring effect of like, oh, all of a sudden Lori loves Halloween and is like 
making pies and stuff like that, which I loved seeing when I think about it, like for Lori as a whole, that she's, you know, like not weighed down by it all. But it was a bit jarring. And I personally felt satisfied because as a Halloween, Halloween three is my second favorite of the entire Halloween franchise. So for me to have this, you know, David Gordon Green trying to recreate the reactions that both each of the top three trilogy films provided. I do think there was a better way that he could have gone about with the Corey character. He could have literally just had Corey be at the dance in 2018 and just had a small interaction with it. And you could have, oh, we jumped to Halloween ends. We like, where have I seen that character before? Oh, wait, he's in 2018. This is interesting. Where is this going? You could have still have told almost the same movie. It would have been a little bit easier on the stomach and it's not would have been as polarizing. Yeah. And it would have been more impactful if. Yeah. You're kind of just like, who? Why? why exactly. Especially when other characters have shown up. Smaller characters have shown up sprinkled throughout the entire yeah, franchise sure. before. Yeah. So you can tell that this was a last minute change. It feels mm-hmm. like from whatever their original plan was. And they'll never admit to it. But it does feel like. This probably, like, I imagine they did want to do a season. I have a feeling David Gordon Green is more of a season of the witch fan than he is a Halloween fan. For sure. And that's a-okay, in my opinion, because I love season of the witch. And my, even my love for Halloween and season of the witch isn't that big of a gap. Mm-hmm. I, I, season of the witch is my go-to Halloween film every year. Like, I just, I love it. The vibes, the aesthetics, Tom Atkins being a sleazeball. Like, I'm here for it all. Halloween ends, it's a messy, messy movie. But ultimately, I just kind of like fuck with what it means narratively for like Haddonfield as a whole. And for the rest of the franchise, hell, Michael's not kissing Lori like in Resurrection or we're not doing some white horse nonsense and Rob Zombie's Halloween. Like, so for me, it's like, yes, I I like this direction a lot more than I do uh, the previous. So for me, yeah, it's my least favorite of the three. but. um but it, ultimately, it does have the best cameo. Oh, yes. Yes. Too short. Too short. I think... Too short. Okay. While we're on that, uh, the cameo. Last night, there was a Halloween special with Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl. Yes. Like, hot off. It happened, like, hours ago. Yeah. We are literally <laughs> pr- pretty much newborn risers from watching that episode. Yeah. Yeah, like go to bed 3 a.m., wake up like seven hours later and record yeah. this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Last night's double feature it was Elvira's Haunted Hills, and they had Cassandra Peterson as a special guest, and then Popcorn, and they had uh, the lead actress from that film, Jill. Sh- I can't think of what her last name is. Ooh, right now. I know what you're talking about, but she's in yeah. like, um, she was good. Class. She's great. I love her. Yeah, she she's- was great. I've been missing the last drive in. Yeah, yeah, I, I always miss it. And they just had great energy last night. Like, you knew that they were excited for that episode. So they just had great energy. And yeah, Darcy's uh cameo in Halloween Ends was too short. Obviously, she's tweeted that, like, stuff got cut. But, um, so release the Darcy cut is my opinion. But I literally lost my mind. Because I actually, I have, like, a subscription service so to a cinema. So I went and saw it in the cinema. And I was the only one. In the cinema, in my crowded oh. cinema, who knew who Darcy the Melgar was? Because I didn't know it was going to happen. Oh, okay. I, I literally was like, <gasps> no one joined me in unison. You want to know what my reaction was? 
the receptionist character comes on screen, I go, oh, boobs. And then I go, oh, thirsty. <laughs> yeah, because it does. It pans up it and not cut. So it's like, it's like, Darcy's like, you have every right. And you know that David Gordon Green episode. She's like, so do you have a spot for me? She was recently on uh, last podcast on the left. They oh, did okay. an interview with her. And she teased that she had a iconic kill by a legendary serial killer, like franchise serial killer. And then she was at Fantastic Fest. I thought that. Terrifier 2. Yeah. And I didn't catch who, what was her cameo in that movie? I don't know. She like, I don't know if she's in that movie or she was there because she's friends with everybody or she was just under masses prosthetics. But yeah, she was at Fantastic Fest and I was like, Hi, I love you. So I thought that she was in Terrifier 2, and then I just didn't realize who she was in that movie. So I was like, oh, okay, that's it. That's the kill. That's what she was talking about on last podcast on the left. And then she shows, I'm like, yes, it was my favorite. That was my favorite part of Halloween. Yeah, like, that was my, that, yeah, that's my favorite part of the entire Halloween trilogy. I was like, all right, so we got Jim Cummings, and now we've got Darcy the Mail Girl, and y'all want to tell me that I'm a man oh of simple. God. I'm a man of simple taste, okay? You put those two people in, and we're already talking positive here. Yeah, I'll watch your movie. You just tell me that they're in it. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. I'll sit down for 90 minutes. Exactly. Love it. Well, speaking of sitting down for 90 minutes, let's dive into Dario Argento's Dark Glasses. Ooh. Oh, yes. We got a new Argento film in the year 2022. Ugh. Yeah, so released in October of this year in America, Dark Glasses mm-hmm. is a Jalo film directed and co-written by Jalo staple Dario Argento. This international co-production of Italy and France is Argento's first directorial work since Dracula 3D in 2012, so it's been 10 years since he's gone behind the camera. He was in front of the camera in a Gaspar Noé film, though. Yeah, Vortex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's been keeping busy. Dark Glasses was originally set to be made years ago, back when Vittorio Gori was to produce it. Vittorio is an Italian film producer and politician. He did plead guilty to bankruptcy and was sentenced to eight years in prison back in 2020. So about two years ago, this whole movie ended up falling apart. He went out of business. Argento shelved this story until his daughter, Asia, found it while writing her new autobiography, Anatomy of a Wild Heart. Asia found it and was like, hey, you want to get behind the camera and let's see if we can make something? From the Dusted Off screenplay, co-written by Argento and longtime collaborator Franco Farini, who co-wrote Phenomena, Demons, Demons 2, Opera of the Church, Two Evil Eyes, and many other films. Dark Glasses premiered at the 72nd Berlin International Film Festival and was released in theaters in Italy earlier this year, back in February. So everyone in Italy had already seen this. Meanwhile, we're just like, hey, we need this movie. And luckily, Shudder brought it to us. Love them. (laughs) Yeah, we love Shudder. This episode will contain spoilers. This is your spoiler warning. We're going to just talk about everything in this yeah, movie. Yeah, we're going to spoil the shit out of this one. Dark Glasses is currently streaming on Shutter, and it's actually playing in select theaters in the United States. So it's still in theaters as of recording this episode in the middle of October. Dark Glasses contains very few standard Jalo elements. There are incompetent police and a black glove killer. 
but they're not focused on too much, and that's about it. For a film where our protagonist is a prostitute, we don't get a lot of on-screen sleaze. There are some boobs, but that's about it. Yep. If that's what you're looking for, if you're like, I want boobs, I want nudity, I want a lot of sex, this you is what? Like, this is yeah, not yeah. yeah. You might want to look at his other filmography. I, I, I noted that. I was like, I noticed that. I was like, oh, boobs. And then, like, later on, I was like, bye, boobs. That's <laughs> it. Like that. We'll get into, like, the cinematography and how this was shot. But one of the more charring parts of this movie is when a scene would end, it would do the fade to black. Yep. That didn't do anything for me. Yeah. Okay, because I know I read that, like, this was written back in the day. And I was like, okay, so they literally, truly dusted this off. No rewrites, no nothing, and, like, just shot it. Because they definitely felt like a dated script. In a lot of ways, that's kind of the charm of it in some ways. But also, like, it, it didn't, at times, didn't necessarily work. Because um, there was a lot of head-scratching moments while watching this movie. So it is set in modern-day Rome. It's modern-day because there are cell phones. But I sort of wish it would have went a little ambiguous with the Mm -hmm. time period. I think that could have added to it. They could have made the fact that the screenplay was dusted off maybe have a little bit more of, like, nostalgic feel. Or, like, as much as you can point out the faults in the film, you're also like, well, if you look at the other filmography or other Italian Mm -hmm. murder mysteries, like, it's pretty in line with what's being put out. yeah, watching it is not in no way, shape, or form that I be felt like I wasn't watching like an Argento film, and in no way, shape, or form did like I was like, oh god, this is like Dracula all over again or anything like that. And um, 3D, yeah, Dracula 3D. You know, it. This was the oddest film. Like, there are things about this movie that I like. I really like, kind of fuck with and love. Yeah. And then there's some, like, truly head-scratching, like, uh, what are we doing here? (laughs) Very Jalo-esque sometimes. We're in modern-day Rome. A serial killer has killed three prostitutes, strangling them with cello strings, cello wires. The last cello wire is destined for Diana, a luxury escort who frequents classy hotels with her clients. One night, the maniac killer chases Diana while driving his van, causing her to crash into another car. This kills the father of a young boy and puts his mother and Diana in the hospital. When she wakes, Diana's life has changed. The accident damaged her Broadman area, specifically area 17, the part of the brain that contains the primary visual cortex. So she wakes up, she's blind. The car crash, that was gnarly, really good practical effects. Yeah, I actually wrote down, I thought the movie peaked. In the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I thought the whole first 20 minutes was like perfection. Getting introduced to the prostitutes, mm-hmm. seeing all that manifest, you know, seeing that first kill with the wire. I was like, oh, Argento is back with like, and like the way that the blood was pouring out. I was like, I'm okay. I'm here for this. I'm here for this. That car chase sequence was great. I liked the way it was shot. The kind of pulls in, pulls like, I, I loved all that. And yeah, that car chase was like the the best kill. Well, just... in- included in that first 20 minutes is that opening scene. Very like mesmerizing and eerie. Mm-hmm. It's 
our protagonist, Diana, it's before we, like, officially meet her, she's driving along, and she pulls over to a park, and she joins a small crowd that's gathered to observe a solar eclipse. She's, like, driving around, and people are, like, looking at things, and you're kind of, like, you're wondering, like, what are they looking at? And then you you figure out, like, it's a solar eclipse. It's cool parallel with the eventual blindness that she suffers. Nothing blatantly horrific happens during this scene, but it's really successful in giving you, like, a creeping sense of dread and, like, is something bad going to happen? Um, oh, yeah. Just a few, in just a few minutes, and you're kind of like, oh, what's going on here? Like, this is really cool. Like, I really, really love that scene. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything else in the movie, and I do wish that it came back around in some way, even if it's just to add, like, an artistic element to the film. Like, maybe, like, the film closes on an eclipse or, you know, someone wearing the glasses or just somewhere like it came back around to this like weird, weird scene that it opens with. Yeah. Um, I noticed like, I did love the opening scene, the way it was shot. Like I know the set, I watched this twice. And the second time I watched this, I noticed that a lot of the other people were wearing more muted colors. Mm-hmm. So like greens and blues and like light blues. And she's in this bright red shirt with yeah. red lipstick and she puts on sunglasses. So she's clearly defined that this is who you're supposed, this is our lead. This is who you're supposed to be watching. And yeah, and then you have this weird eclipse and you're watching it slowly. And you're like, what's going on here? And I, mm-hmm. I really, really liked all of that. And I thought that that just set an absolute amazing atmosphere. And then, yeah, from that to, like, the car crash, like, I was like, man, this movie is just, like, I'm I'm here for all of this. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. we get into the actual meat yeah. of where this film goes. So the car crash happens. The diagnosis is final. Diana has lost her sight in the crash. In the aftermath of this attack or, like, this chase, she seeks out the young Chinese boy whose father was killed in the car accident. Mm-hmm. And then she eventually meets, like, a friendly counselor that works with the Society of the Blind named Rita, played by Daria Argento's daughter, Asia Argento. Diana gets a very protective guide dog named Neria. Very, very good doggo. (laughs) I love a movie with a positive dog. And Mm -hmm. this movie gave a great dog. Same. And Diana begins to, like, try to adjust to her new life and the new reality. She sticks with her old job as a prostitute. Some of the clients look upon her condition as like a new kink. They're kind of into it. So she's still successful in her job despite being blind. There's not a ton of character development with her, but I do think she's like one of Argento's more interesting protagonists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She definitely has a personality. She's not bland at all. Yeah, I remember, I think you would hear, like, criticisms of, like, Argento's, like, female characters, especially back in his prime era that he will always be remembered for. And I didn't feel that this was, like, any sort of way stereotypical of, like, he felt like he was trying to make, like, um, like a very, like, capable lead, mm-hmm. uh, one that could, like, wasn't afraid to, like, throw herself out there um, so I, I actually, yeah, I do think that this is one of his better, like, female lead protagonists. I was actually really into, um, into, into Diana. And, yeah. And, uh, oh. and, yeah. and I also share a name with the protagonist, except for <laughs> my name has two ends and she has one end. And I love that. I'm like, yay, I'm glad Argento's Return has my name in it. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. 
she's strong, she's capable, she definitely, like, lives in luxury, like, she has a maid, and, and that sort of ends, but then she is adjusting to being blind and, like, doing more things on her own, and with the help of Neria, the guide dog, and her aide, and then Chin comes into the mix, but in the meantime, the police are still investigating these serial murders by our killer... I don't know, the cellist, you could yeah. call him, the cellist. Typical Jalo fashion, you know, they're clueless. They have no leads, they don't know what to do. He keeps repainting his van black to white, and they're so confused by this. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, the killer comes back into the picture, and Diana and Chin have to go on the run to avoid meeting their end. A fast game of cat and mouse ensues, and then it's, it gets a little silly. It gets very silly. Like, most of the movie, like, you have this amazing, like, opening sequence, the tension, all stuff, and then you have this break where it's kind of just, like, this bonding relationship between Diana and this kid and them trying to, like, be friends, get their life on track, while also you have, in the background, this minute, this killer who's, you know, stalking, but ultimately, yeah, it's... The first time I watched it, I thought it was very jarring. I thought it was like, woo. Like we just went, we went, we were at a hundred on the speed and now we're at like a 50. So, um, I think it did play a lot better the second time I watched it. Um, the, the pacing of it all. Um, I think it's just because with Argento, particularly in his directing style, he definitely feels like, um, there are some people who are all about the performance and some people are all about the craftsman and the style. And I definitely think Argento is the second half. He really, wants to paint a visual painting, he cares about his kills, he's not necessarily like, your acting is what it is, you know, it it can be whatever it is, but like, don't get in the way of my kills, don't get in the way of my visuals that Mm -hmm. he's painting, that's why Suspiria and Deep Red and Tenebrae, you hear people always talking about the way these movies are looked, and I think that this movie in a way is also striking, but not striking like it like it used to be back in those yeah. times the cinematographer his name's Matteo Coco um he's done a lot of Italian productions it's nothing that I've seen like he's obviously not worked with Argento before you mentioned there's like pops of red in the beginning with her coat and she has this jet black hair and um I mean even like right now I'm like looking at my background on Skype as we're talking virtually and I have Tenebrae and it's a very bloody scene on a white wall with someone with jet black hair and you can see these pieces from the past that i don't know if argento is doing it purposefully but there's definitely like remnants like showing up on screen the cinematography and the framing of the actual picture there are some really really gorgeous and like nicely framed wide shots in this film like all the wide shots i love they're all so picturesque the screen grabs on those are amazing but then you get really awkward close-ups Yeah, I think that's like those are the worst shots of the film or those close ups. Yes, absolutely. Um, I I think there was one like where it's a close up. She's in like her house and she's got her the dark glasses on or whatnot. And I was just like, what's what's this frame? It does have like it was weird. It was almost like he's doing these little like Easter egg callbacks to his previous films while also kind of having that sort of muted like bluish green that's been kind of the trend that you get in a lot of mike flanagan production that it's going on right now especially in that back half when we're out in the woods and we're doing all that stuff i did feel a little bit of his style kind of like faded away 
outside of that one scene that was like, this is so Argento. The very silly one in the water. Yes. This (laughs) is so Argento to a T. It's like running in a, in a school full of witches and falling into barbed wire. It is like so Argento and so random. And as me, as someone who has a massive phobia of snakes, Mm-hmm. I had an extremely hard time it's watching. It sort of it has that silliness and that scene particularly is kind of akin to uh Wickerman remake. Like the bees, like it's so the water snakes, like it's I got so it. silly and but classic Argento. Like it's I'm not at all surprised that that scene exists. Yeah, literally I think I wrote um classic Argento, like, with the water snakes. Like, even that scene, the movie sort of switches tones about an hour into it. And this isn't necessarily um, what you're looking for in a horror movie or a slasher or a giallo, but the best moments in, like, this particular film involve Diana and her alliance with Chin. The scene, even if they're, like, silly and slapsticky, those are kind of, like, the best moments Chin offers her protection and he's this little kid and he's just trying to be a little grown up and trying to help this blind lady who's also trying to be like independent and then kind of a surrogate mother. It's like unconventionally charming. Argento dipping his toes into um odd couple, like an odd couple, mm-hmm. comedy, which is not again, it's not what you're looking for in a horror film. Is it jolly because Argento made it? You know, they sort of revealed the killer. So that mystery is gone. I had a hard time placing it too. It, feels at times very jalo but it also and it could be jalo because it doesn't have any supernatural elements it is a killer but yeah you do have the killer it could be jalo and an odd couple comedy (laughs) exactly it's like jalo but like almost in a different genre yeah it's 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 an odd it's an oddball but ultimately yeah i did like the movie yeah, I, I did really like the movie, and I, I, I thought that, like, okay, this is more Argento that I want to see, not Dracula, you know, 3D. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Some of the stuff you do love to see are the kills. We are talking about the pacing. It's an 86-minute movie. Within that 86-minute runtime, there is one death or kill approximately every 12 minutes. So there are seven, like, seven kills on screen total. There's two that take place before the movie starts. You find out that the first victim is the third victim of our killer. So there's two that happen before the movie start. I talked about these close-ups being kind of awkward. The close-ups that I did not find awkward are those close-ups on the murders. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially because the prosthetics looked so good. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. so glad they did those close-ups because they were gory and bloody. And that's what I look for. The female prostitute, she's strangled with that cello string. She bleeds to death because her throat is cut while walking home after a job. Our killer attacks her in the dark and, like, immediately just wraps the wire around her throat, strangles her. And I love that entire scene, how that kill plays out. Like, she gets pulls into the bushes, and then he does actually shoot, like, a close-up shot of the kill. And it's, like, her face just kind of, like, running back and forth like a rag doll in the wo- in the bush. And then you see the wire, and then, yeah, it's that whole kill, fantastic. And it is close-up, but it is actually very well done, and I did really enjoy that kill. And, yeah, when the shot of her laying dead as the blood's just, like, pouring out, love that. Love that. 
Yeah, that was a really good one. Like, kudos to the practical effects team and the makeup team on this movie, because they did a really good job. Next up, you get the car crash. So there's a car crash that happens. Diana's being chased by the killer. She runs into another car. Her car goes over the roof of the car, crushes the dad's head. He's in the passenger, front passenger seat. That's the side she hits first. Puts the driver, who's the mom, in the hospital. They do another close-up on the dad's throat, where his throat gets damaged in the wreckage, and you're like, he's clearly dead. Yeah. Again, another extremely well-shot and well-executed throat slit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that 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 entire death, I was like, oh, my God. It was, I was not expecting that car crash. Yeah. I like a little, maybe like a T-bone, but like sh- that car launched. Over yeah. Literally. I think my, like, yeah, like that entire car crash, the way it shot everything. And then like, that was just like a massive, like shock when you see like it go over like the window and then it lands and crashes and like she's flipped over. And then you just see this massive om- shot that just lingers for like a good few seconds of them to just practically blood blood field and it's just like oh my god yeah so or later in the movie they say like oh the mother is in the hospital so like then you find out like the mother like initially survives didn't think she did at first i i wrote oh two kills the yeah. mom and dad are dead uh, but the mom was in the hospital for some part of the movie <laughs> we'll get to that <laughs> Our third kill is not as impressive. It's a male cop gets hit with the van. Our killer runs him over with a car. Eh, it's kind of, yeah, whatever. It's just kind of like, oh, a stunt person got hit by a car and now the cop is dead. But then immediately after, in stupid Jalo cop tradition, (laughs) she just sits there and she's like, oh, no, he's dead. Let me get my gun. And then (laughs) she gets hit with the van door. The um, killer drives up water, opens the door, smacks her with the door, and then this is pretty brutal. He gets behind her and stabs her repeatedly in the back. Yeah. I, I really I, enjoyed that kill. It's good sound design in that one because you really like heard the blade going inside into her back. Whew, but yeah, dumb cops, man. Our fifth kill: female strangled with a rope after being chased off the road in a car. It's Asia Argento's death. Uh, I wish the lighting was a little bit better in this one. This is also when, at this point, the movie starts to get a little silly because we know who the killer is. So there's yeah. that mystery. It um, was but- a weird scene because I was like, I, the, I was like, oh, that's our killer. That's what he looks like. Okay, it's not the classic, like, Argento reveal, like, at the very end, like, last 15, 10 minutes, sometimes last two minutes of a movie. And you're just like, here, I'm the killer coming back like Michael Myers standing up for the third time. And it was weird because I'm like, what? This is the killer? Okay. You mean when the killer said, hey, it's me, the stinky guy. Yeah. I watched it twice. The first time I watched it, I actually missed that brief shot where they just showed the killer's face. So then you know who it is. I missed it the first time. I don't know. I was maybe writing a note or something. I missed it. I'm like, thank goodness I watched it the second time because I'm like, oh, that's nope. That no, no, you don't do that. But I did notice the red herrings, which there really aren't that many, are sort of based around who our killer actually is. Like they're all like dog themed. Yeah. Kind of. There no, there's no, like, mystery to it, really, because you get 
Diana goes to adopt Neria, and there's, you know, clearly there's dogs there, and there's dogs being trained, and then you get, like, Mateo, who is our actual killer, who's a dog trainer, he smells like a dog, and she offends him by saying, hey, take a shower before we have sex, and then he's a real asshole about it, and, like, calls her a whore and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you get, and I missed the reveal the first time, shortly after this, the kill of Asia Argento's strangulation, and you get Chin and Diana are on the side of the road. These two gentlemen stop to help them, and there's dogs in the car. So I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, is the killer in that car? This is before I noticed that the killer was already revealed. I'm like, is that going to be the killer, like, stopping, and they're, she's going to grab her and put her in, like, the back with the dogs? There were all these, like, dog red herrings throughout the film, which I also think there should have been some cello red herrings yeah like musical did you get that correlation at all like did you no. find a correlation behind like the cello strings and the dog trainer i don't know how the shoot was like i don't know if the shoot was a good shoot or a bad shoot but it did feel like maybe one or two scenes did not get filmed and i felt like the killer's reveal was very jarring and not in a very good way i was like oh that's our killer okay Oh, he's the one guy that, well, no, there was that older guy in the beginning that she had to, like, yeah. meet. But I was like, oh, he's the one guy that was, like, blatantly shitty to her. Yeah. Oh, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I wish that kind of in the beginning of the movie, they do kind of a, a pan over his, the killer's lairs before you know who the killer is. And he's watching the new maniac. Yeah. Elijah Wood maniac. Um, I wish maybe he was listening to some classical music or something. Just kind he's, of to bring yeah. that, like the cello portion of this film to the forefront. Yeah, it just felt like Argento was like, I want to use the cello wire as the weapon, and we're just going to do that, and we're not going to justify how that came to be. Maybe Diana is doing um, one of her jobs, going to her client's house, and like he happens to have a room that has cellos in it or something, and so he's, he's a red herring. Exactly. It's kind exactly. of the background. I wish he would have came to me for rewrites on this one. Yeah, it was like, oh, we wrote this thing in the 90s. We're good. We're just going to dust it off, get some, start shooting this tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I mean, they could film some additional scenes. Like, I I just threw out all of those ideas. Just film them, plop them in. No one will be the wiser. Exactly, yeah. I, I think um, Better Red Herrings, uh, my only big real issue, most issues that I have with this movie are kind of minor at the end of the day, is the killer himself. Uh, most of my issues resolve with the killer. I think this is, as much as I think that this is one of Dario Argento's better films of recent memory, I think that this is one of his weakest killers. Just because the motivation, you, you smell bad. <laughs> um, his motive, the killer's motivations, the reveal, all this stuff don't have the impact that I felt like his pre obviously his previous films did nor that I felt like this film was kind of setting up for so that kind of left me a little disappointed yeah but the kills satisfied the lead satisfied the look of it satisfied I mean the sixth kind of kill in this movie is that Shin's mom ends up succumbing to her injuries in the hospital from the car crash final 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 kill is my favorite it's the killer Gets mauled in the neck by Neria. Yeah, our killer's weak. I can't get over the, it's me, the guy who stinks. 
my God, what a terrible. You've had all this time to prep your big reveal, and this is like, it's me. It's me. It's me, Mario. (laughs) Right? I'm the killer. (laughs) I love that scene because Miria, such a good doggo, like throughout the entire film, and like her and Diana were bonding, and oh, love her. Love Miria. I see you, Argento. You know, you have like carnivorous flies and chimps and phenomena and you get ravens and opera like you you love an animal i like it oh yeah and i love that you can tell that like it's just like a a fake dog tearing away at his neck like and i i loved that i could like the animatronics of that dog i was so here for it I was like, I love this. No dogs were harmed or overworked on the production of Dark Glasses. I love that. The thing I really loved about this movie, and I think we're, I think you liked it as well, is the music. Oh, I have been listening to it nonstop. Give me the vinyl. The score for this movie, like, immediately. It was the first thing I noted, even in the opening scene. I was like, huh, okay. Yeah. It's so, a good old Argento mm-hmm. synth score here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was composed by arnaud ribatini and when he learned that he was going to create the soundtrack for the next argento film he immediately thought of the music of goblin and claudio simonetti who have composed again like all of these like more than 10 giallo films arnaud obviously had bells of suspiria in mind the introduction of a gothic organ and electronic sounds of tenebrae so definitely like all of that like classic synthy giallo electronic vibing i i loved it so much um it was composed entirely electronically with dark themes and like some pop music a little like funk a little disco but arnaud did like add his personal touch to it of course he didn't directly rip off a goblin or claudia simonetti i think he succeeded it's oh. really, it's a good soundtrack and you can buy an 18 track vinyl for dark glasses at Mondo, so mondoshop.com if you want to buy it. Yes. Yeah, I need it. I need to swipe the card on that one. I have I've been listening to this score so much. I I yeah, no, it's a great score. It's got it felt very classic um Jalo. And I immediately looked it up. I was like, "Who did this score?" cuz I was like, "This rules." Yeah, the score the score is the best. This out the score is the best part of the film for me outside of some of these kills. Um, and yeah, no, I, I really, I really love it. It's obviously it's no Tenebrae, um, but, um, but it, it's more one of, it's one of my favorite, it's more on the upper hand of, um, of some of these Argento or like Jalo scores that I've heard. Um, so I was, I was very, very impressed. There's even a cup. There's not just one track. There's like a couple tracks on the score that I'm like, I, I vibe with this so much. I really enjoy dark glasses. I think that this is a much more return to form for Argento. It's got some head scratching decisions, but ultimately, yeah, it's a good time. It has a great score, great kills, great lead. I definitely think it's worth a watch. I think you should be giving it a watch immediately on shutter. Yeah. I mean, from start to finish, it, it does run on, like, some cheap Jalo thrills and, like, slasher tropes, which is something, like, you either hate or you tolerate, depending on how you like your horror movies. Like, it's either mm-hmm. something you love or you loathe. You, you have yeah. to pick. <laughs> so if you know, like, going in, like, what you like, 
I think that there were a lot of opportunities for the film to go like a little bit deeper into the story, like more uh, character development, considering the number of angles the plot could have focused on. Like it could have focused more on Diana adjusting to her blindness or being a surrogate mother to Chin. But it did end up seeing rushed, but it's a Jalo, and because it had a short runtime. So I think that if it was a longer film and maybe it was going for like a little bit different tone, they could have dived more into these things, but then it would have been a different movie. You gotta kinda of pick and choose your pick and choose your battles on this one. Mm-hmm. There are plot elements like that creepy eclipse opening that are introduced in some ways that make it seem like it's important. Even the cello strings of the killer, like you think that it's gonna be important or you think it's gonna have some links to the killer, but then it's never referred to again. Those elements a lot of the kills or like the more suspenseful elements are kept off screen for like long periods of time, particularly towards the end. Um, so you kind of lose like a little bit of momentum towards the end of the film, but the first hour is, it's great. The first hour, like I, I really much enjoyed on a positive note, the movie doesn't truly get silly until around like 50 minutes in the first hour is really well paced. It's not a total eye roll. There are like the cheesy, again, it's, it's shallow, like it's shallow, baby. It, it happens. Like there's not a ton of character development. And when our identity of our killer is revealed, about it's the 50 minute mark most of the mystery just leaves and the tone of the movie changes from there but then you bring in water snakes and then it's a silly buddy comedy (laughs) freaking water snakes baby yeah dark glasses does lack in the usual jalo elements there's not a ton of them there's not jmb whiskey there's not like super close-ups on like black leather gloves and it's likely called an all-encompassing jalo because argento directed it I don't think anyone's say, hey, the new Argento buddy comedy. It's the new Argento Jallo. Not much mystery to who the killer is, not much story, but the story is about how Diana survives this ordeal and tragedy and she grows from it. I absolutely loved the ending shot at the airport that is the complete opposite of Suspiria's opening. Yes. Um, it's at the end of the film. The context is so much different. It's not this fresh-faced girl showing up at a German ballet school. It's this blind prostitute who has been through some shit. Yeah. Uh, and she looks amazing. The fashion is amazing. <laughs> uh, every, yeah, every outfit that this uh, that our lead wears is like, where are you shopping? She's fly. She's yeah. got style. <laughs> yeah. She's shopping in Rome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Those dark glasses look good, too. I, I was like, ooh. It's yeah, her look yeah. is fantastic. Um, the movie as a whole might sound like a mess, but it does make itself worth its time with its pacing. Great synth score. I love the score, the costuming, um, the practical effects, the makeup. Like I think that it all really adds up in a, in a positive way. It does approve upon the past works of Argento within you know the last twenty years. It's. Not on the level of his prime. It's not on the level of like Suspiria or Deep Red or Tenebrae. But I feel like even the most eye-rolly of scenes in Dark Glasses do not seem too out of touch considering that they were created by an 82-year-old man. Exactly. You have to take it with a grain of salt. And I feel like if you're watching this and you're saying like this is his worst film, like I feel like you have not seen a lot of his film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I very, yeah, we're, yeah, we are talking about an 82 year old and we are talking about someone that we want to recreate Suspiria or <laughs> like this lightning in a bottle time frame that that's just never going to happen. 
But I do think Dark Glasses, you know, kind of like honors his previous works in a very fun and entertaining way. And uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed the movie. Yeah, it's messy, but it, it's... It's not going to be his last film either. I know. We just recently found yeah. out that... Like, announced that he's going to be making a film with Isabel Hubert, who is an award-winning actress. That could be like a fantastic best film right that, there. That, I'm already like, if you yeah. put that in the lineup, my ass is there. <laughs> like, I am... I was like... Wow. Yeah, no, that I never thought of them two ever working together. But now it's like them working together. I was like, I need to see this immediately because yeah. it's like, Daria, you better show up to work and like go off on this movie because you better you be put, drinking your smoothies in the morning because yeah, energy. <laughs> exactly. Because I need I need this movie because, you know, she's going to show up and act her ass off. So, you know, you don't have to worry about acting being like you know, questionable. So that with his, his style and you get the, get the right, oh baby, the right score. Oh man. Oh, I'm so excited to see this. All we know is that he's making a new film and that's, they, they have not said anything about plot. It just recently came out. Um, I saw the article by the playlist, so it's not just like a rumor. Um, but I, yeah, let, let's go. Let's go. Let's get that at Fantastic Fest. And the last thing I will say about Dark Glasses is I would die for Neria the dog. I would die for her. I love her so much. So for this month's episode, I wanted to put together a double or triple feature that pairs well with Dark Glasses, but also puts you in the mood for all things spooky during this Halloween season. Dylan, as Jalo Month Club's resident slasher expert, you love all things horror. I know you have a pulse on all the things, new and old. What is your ideal October viewing to go along with this film? Okay. I ended up writing a long list because I actually think there's a good chunk of films that would go well with this. I, and I have like a, like, a, like a schedule, too, of like how I would watch these films. Um, first and foremost, I would start with Mike Flanagan's Hush. Because I do think you have another, you have another home invasion film, you know, you have someone who is deaf and you got that classic stalker scenario. And I think visually like that, that dark blue, like that's why I kind of teased it a little bit earlier. Where I was like, you know, he's kind of doing like that Mike Flanagan thing in the second half. Cause I feel like you could watch Hush, um, and then go right into dark glasses. Yeah. Um, and I think dark glasses is the middle piece. Um, to your marathon then I would end on what have they done to your daughter which is a like I think it came out in the 70s it's like this massive gory kind of jalo like um serial killer film in which a bunch of schoolgirls are being attacked it's not what have you done to Solange uh I know I know what have you done to your daughter that's how I've okay. always known that I feel like I hmm do you know much more about this film like is it part of like a trilogy because I think that I have talked about whoever the filmmaker is Ooh, um, I've only I, seen this one film okay talk about it let me I'm gonna do a little yeah it's 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 a classic uh you know stalker killer film where you have this killer who's going around and going after these schoolgirls. the opening scene of this movie is so dark and so scary 
that I think it pairs very well with any sort of Jalo film. Um, it's not afraid to get gory. It's not afraid to get graphic and it's like nudity. And I definitely think this is the closing chapter for this, this trilogy. Confirmed. It's not the same film, same director. Okay. 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 Same director. Yeah. Um, what have you done? Solange is also like an all girl school as well. I reviewed that one on the podcast. It's a rough one. Yeah. Um, th- this movie's a rough one. End on this one and have a really shitty night go- crawling into bed um afterwards but i think that this pairs very well with dark glasses and that sort of jalo like visceral nature that you would get like like wow they got away with this stuff like i have so many like you could also watch wait until dark with the audrey hepburn film you have the classic stalkers story but i my my go is hush dark glasses um and then what have they done to your daughter i love it i'm like i didn't even think about that hush correlation like i like that Mostly so, on just the visual aspect, all, and mm-hmm. then the classic stalker tale. And I think it's also just a good film for spooky season because we're all bundled up in our homes <laughs> watching horror films all day. My triple feature is inspired by Diana's dog, Miria. <laughs> uh, Miria means mine, and you can see the dog as part of Diana reclaiming her life after losing her sight. In horror movies, dogs can either be the villains or they could be the hero. Regardless of their intentions, a dog is always a welcome addition to a movie for me personally, and I hope for for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. My triple feature is dedicated to three very good doggos. (laughs) So first up, and I kind of going, um, my vibe is opposite of yours. So I'm starting off kind of heavy, like heavy stuff with The Hills Have Eyes 1977. We have Beast is the dog. Yeah. That's so, a hard watch. <laughs> yeah, so starting out with that, and all of my, the three movies that I, um, Dark Glasses is one of them, but they all have very different tones. I like doing that when I'm watching multiple movies back to back, just kind of get some variety. In West Craven's The Hills Have Eyes from 1977, the Carter family owns two German shepherds. One is Beast and one is Beauty. Beauty is emotive and impulsive, but Beast is calm and calculating. Just like his human companions, Beast suffers a tragic loss after the Carter family becomes stranded in the desert near a family of cannibals. Um, And just like the surviving members of the Carter family, Beast is intent on getting violent revenge. Beast plays a huge role in this film. And the character Beast even returns in the second film, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. So he gets to tackle some cannibals again in the the sequel. (laughs) Um, the Hills Have Eyes is streaming on Shudder, Tubi, Canopy, and Hoopla. My second film, I would sandwich Dark Glasses in there. I would put Dark Glasses right in the middle of my triple feature. My third film is, and I did not do this because of Joe Bob last night, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Because Ooh, I, wanted to, yeah. I wanted to end on something light. It's a great horror comedy. You know, you start heavy, Hills Have Eyes, <laughs> put a little mixed bag in the middle with Dark Glasses and Neria, and then you have Elvira, Mistress of the Dark with Gonk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Gonk is one third of the inheritance that Elvira gets from her great aunt in this new town that she moves to. She inherits the house, she gets Gonk, and then she gets this, like, recipe book. Elvira isn't impressed with Gonk at first, so she gives him a punk rack makeover, which is super cute. Gonk is brave, has a little bit of fight in him. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, is streaming on Amazon Prime, Tubi, and Hoopla. 
I that is a great triple movie. E- anything with Elvira is just great, and Mistress of Dark is just the best movie. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I leave my stove on? I gotta go back. <laughs> Listeners, two nights of triple features. <laughs> yes. Dylan, while I have you on Jollo Month Club, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? I definitely want to plug my TikTok once again. Um, Slasher Reviews on TikTok. I am constantly doing horror reviews. It's probably the place where you're going to get the first initial reactions to things almost immediately. So I highly recommend checking me out on TikTok. I've got a bunch of really cool, exciting things. Like literally, if you could see my drafts right now, I think I have about 70 drafts going Whoa. on. Yeah, it's like I've because I will I, I do make my things in advance. And I, for a series, and then once I I start a series, then I will start to triculate some of the skits that go along with said series. Um, so like you'll get a you'll get the in depth analysis, and then you'll get something fun and silly to 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 make to marriage it together. Um, and I've been posting a lot for spooky season. Um, slasher reviews. It's my handle for everything. You can type slash reviews on pretty much anything wherever you want to go. You're gonna find me. Um, it's the number one tag that I put on everything. So yeah, slasher reviews. And I'm always, I'm even making thirst traps to Jason Voorhees over there. So you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> That's your dude. <laughs> That's my dude. That's my dude. I love it. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, of course, follow you on everything. Um, you're one of my favorite people to talk to just about movies in general. And I love having you on the podcast. I love you too. I love how even when we, I love that even when most of the time we don't agree, which is kind of fun that we agree on dark glasses. Yeah. Watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, again, yeah, the first one was a bit jarring. And then the second re, the rewatch, I was like, Oh wait, no, I, I, I vibe with it. But yeah, we don't always agree, but we get along very, very well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're definitely one of my favorite people. I look forward to every fantastic festival. Like I get to see Diana again. I love it. The creators of Cinefall, a card game, present My First Jollo Horror, part of an all-new series of picture books that offer a colorful, kid-friendly look at your favorite film eras. There's three books. It's French New Wave, Film Noir, and then Jollo, Jollo Horror. Within this delightful new book for Cinefalls of all ages, you'll find a tongue-in-cheek tribute to the works of Sergio Martino, Mario Bava, Dario Argento, and other masters of the genre. As a lover of all things Italian horror and a co-parent to a free-spirited six-year-old, I absolutely adored this book. Um, I got to talk with Corey, who is the writer of the book, for a little bit of insight. The modish illustrations and lighthearted rhyming are exactly what I look for when I'm picking out a kid's book. Jalo is a cycle of crime films that peaked in the 1970s, and that is not an easy sell for kids. But the artwork in the book brings the fashionable side of Jollo horror to life in a playful way. My first Jollo horror is a tender, fun way to introduce the younger generation to these formative films that I talk about every month on the podcast. There's no doubt that I will be gifting this book to everyone that I know that has kids. (laughs) It's really, really cute. You can buy your own My First Jollo Horror by visiting lilcinephile.com. So it's L-I-L-Cinephile.com. <laughs> I already know I would love this. It's like, yeah, no, I look forward to having my own little child and be like, I'm going to read them. This Like, this would be the book that I would read my child. Okay, we're not sitting down and reading about Thomas the Train. We're going to read My Little Jollo. It's short and it's sweet and it rhymes. When I was first contacted about reviewing this book, 
I looked through it. I was like, oh, Suspiria is included in this. I don't consider Suspiria to be Jalo. And then I read the promotional materials and they, they talk about how that we're talking about murder mysteries. We're talking about thrillers and we're talking about phantasmagoria, which is like mm. dreamlike cinema. And I'm like, yeah. thank goodness you included that because now I'm like, okay, cool. Let's include Suspiria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can. Yeah. When you're talking that, that, you know, spectrum. Now we can talk Suspiria, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I, I, I'm with you on that, on the Suspiria statement. Jalo the Month Club is now on Letterboxd. You can follow the list titled Jalo the Month Club for every movie reviewed on this podcast, including Dark Glasses. You can also follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jalo Club for all of the Jalo goodness you can handle. Did want to shout out Fantastic Fest again. We just attended, it was a month ago, hard to believe, a month ago, but I know it's our favorite genre film festival, and I always like talking about those films, and I'm sure some of the films I talked about will end up on my year-end list. Every time, I always end up seeing my favorite film of the year pretty much there. It's Ooh. just it's just like, it always happens. I think one time, I think I saw a film, and I was like, oh, wait, that, yeah, that was my favorite film, and it didn't end up there, but like, yeah. Logo design for Jolly Month Club is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. The music for the podcast is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. And last but not least, you can follow me, your host, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at DianaNK. Pro tip, if you follow me on Letterboxd, you'll likely know which movie will be the next episode of Jollo of the Month Club because I log it when I watch it. If you see a random Jollo pop up in my recent activity... It's likely it's because I'm going to review it for the podcast. I am so excited for your Halloween costume. I, yes, yes. I'm hoping that I can get it all together before the end of time. But regardless, it's happening, baby. It's happening. Uh, I'm so glad so many people reached out to me when I put that desperate plea on Instagram. I was like, I can't find the materials. I was like, um, this is how, Dylan, this is how you do it, all right? Yeah. You see three pieces, you're going to have to go to the craft store, buy some buttons, and there you go. <laughs> exactly. And surprisingly, I'm not terrible at arts and crafts. You know, I might not be able to draw, but, like, I'm not terrible at arts and crafts, so, like, I, I can, I, I can I've make this co- happen. I've seen easily. your costumes. They're good. I'm nothing against going out and buying a store-bought costume, but I have, every year, I had make my costumes. So, and it's just always, yeah, always super fun, you know, or I might place an order and, but I'll hand make the design, you know, and some business will go and do it. So like, I'm super excited to make this happen. I hate that I'm doing it so last minute. So it's going to probably be a day of, of all Halloween when all the materials finally show up, but still. I won't spoil the costume, but are you going to dress up in the costume and, um, shake your butt to... Oh. Of course. Something. I don't know. Of what? course. I haven't figured out the exact track yet, but if any, the more you get to know me, you guys, the more you'll know that I am not afraid to shake ass, you know, <laughs> anywhere. Okay. So the new it girl in town, you know, just can't wait. <laughs> Listeners. Thank you for joining us on this spooky Halloween episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You've been listening to Jollo the month club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. And I'm Dylan Tillman with Slasher Reviews.